Good morning. How many of you guys are excited to be here? Good. Me too. Me too. I, uh, I, I've got a, a funny sounding voice this morning. Uh, here's the story. Friday night, I went out to a Biloxi Shuckers baseball game with some friends. And uh, you're going to learn a couple of things about me really quickly if you go to a Biloxi Shuckers game with me. Uh, is first, I like to have a good time. And uh, second, I like to yell a lot. And, uh, and I've, God's gifted me with a very loud voice, and I like to use it. And uh, I get encouraged when people aren't talking back to me or, or interacting. Like, if I'm at a baseball game and everyone else is loud, everything's going to be cool. I'm just going to blend in. But if it's, like, dead silent out there, then I'm just going to be over-exaggerated loud. So that's what I did Friday night, and I screamed a lot. I got five different players on the baseball field playing to acknowledge me while they were on the field. True story, the third baseman, his last name is Green. Uh, I talked to him all night. I talked to him all night in, in encouraging ways, encouraging. But at the ninth inning, it was so quiet. It was five to zero. Biloxi was losing. And finally, I just had a, a, a pretty hefty exchange with Green. And I said, hey, Green. I said, uh, you know, we're not winning tonight, but it's good that we, we've got to meet each other. And I said, would you do this for me? I said, if you can hear me, could you just acknowledge me with a handshake? So he lifted his hand and... and <laughs> Everyone around me started laughing, so I said, well, this is awesome. So now I know that you can really hear me, I'm going to keep talking. I said, so Green, I said, man, I said, uh, it was a tough game tonight. I said, but I think we've accomplished something. I think tonight we've become BFFs. So I said, I said, sir, I said, if we're BFFs, could you go on and give me a thumbs up? And I got the thumbs up. I asked him if we could get a selfie after the game, and he didn't reply to that. But then I encouraged him uh, to talk to the shortstop, whose last name was Arcia. And I said, hey, Arcia can be our BFF too. And when that happened, I watched the shortstop put his face in his glove and just start laughing. <laughs> so that's the reason I don't have a voice this morning. It was because I'm becoming friends with the Biloxi Shuckers. So um, my name's Micah, and I am friends with the Biloxi Shuckers. But uh, no, that is a completely true story, by the way. So um, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the Long Beach Campus Pastor. I'm, I'm very excited to be here to really uh, finish our Legends Message series. I don't know if it's good to be last. Uh, I don't know if it's good to be first. I don't know where this puts me at, but I'm excited to share the, the final part of Legends. Um, you know, it, things are going well in Long Beach. We're coming up on a one-year mark as far as when we've launched, which is awesome. We're in two services, exact same times as here, and as we were in worship, I was getting texts from a bunch of people in Long Beach saying, hey, just letting you know, we just pulled out all the white chairs because we don't have enough, we got too many people in the first service, so that's really cool, or it could be really bad, the second service could be like nobody in there, <laughs> but that's what's going on, we just baptized number 68 uh, on Wednesday night at our first Wednesday service, and uh, and just like here, there hasn't been a week that's gone by in the last year that somebody hasn't risen their hand to make a decision to follow Jesus. So we're excited. God's moving, and uh, I'm excited to continue uh, this message series with you. Uh, you've heard a lot of different stories about a lot of different legends in the Bible, and today I want to share with you uh, the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. And uh, really, before I get into the story of Samuel, I think it's important for us to know where Samuel came from, who his parents were. And uh, Samuel uh, was the byproduct of a man and woman named Hannah, who was uh, described in the Bible as a righteous woman, but she was barren. And her husband was Elkanah. Elkanah also had another wife. 
which was giving him children. Hannah was not. She was just a good, righteous woman. And uh, you can't do that anymore. You can't have multiple wives. But in the Old Testament, it was okay. That's what was going on. And Hannah really wanted a, a son. She really wanted a son. And she would call out to God. She'd ask God for a son. And, and it wasn't happening. But if it's, the story goes like this, that she finds herself in the temple one day. And uh, she's just at church. And she's, you know, maybe at the altar and she's praying quietly. And uh, she's just saying, God, would you give me a son? God, would you please give me a son? Uh, and she was praying so much. And I guess it was kind of different looking that the priest at that time, his name was Eli, came up to her. He's like, hey, what are you doing? And you know, you know how it is. If you just walk up to somebody and they're kind of talking to themselves, kind of murmuring, acting a little funny. Well, Eli naturally assumed that Hannah was intoxicated. And uh, he said, hey, hey, what are you doing? And she said, I, I, I really want a son, and I'm believing that God's going to give me a son. And uh, she, she makes this deal with God. And she says, God, if you'd give me, actually in the King James Version, she says, God, if you'd give me or grant me a man-child, she said, I'm going to give him right back to you. Story goes on that Hannah becomes pregnant. And uh, she, she takes care of her son. She names him Samuel for three or four years and the Bible says at the time that he was weaned so that's four years I guess it takes to to wean a child you know thank God that's the Old Testament that's not New Testament right so at the time of weaning she goes to the temple and she goes to Eli and she says hey Eli do you remember me and he's like not really but maybe so and you know she's like I was the lady that was praying here and God gave me a son she said now I made this deal with God and I told you about it she said so I'm holding up my end of the deal he's done weaning so here's your son now if you do that today okay if you show up at church tomorrow with a four-year-old and say hey just wanted you to have this gift it's my son we're going to have a conversation, okay? We're going to have a conversation. We're going to try to figure out what's going on here for real. I don't know exactly what the conversation uh, was like between Eli and Hannah, but we do know this, that Eli accepted Samuel, and he raised him up in the temple. At that time, Samuel, took, they, they took the Nazarite vow. It's the same thing that Samson took, not to cut the hair, to have a very strict diet to live a life that was, that was very structured inside of the house of God. And now Eli was the father figure in this, in this story now. Eli also had two other sons. So just get the picture with me. And what we're trying to do in this series is for you to be able to relate to a degree with, with some of these people that we put so high on pedestals. But Samuel is a young man at this point. And he's got a fatherly figure, and he's got two brothers who the Bible says are corrupt, and they're doing things they shouldn't be doing inside of the house of God. And it says that Samuel's just doing his thing, and he's obeying his parent. At this point, he doesn't have a relationship with God. He's not like this thing, but he's just doing what he's supposed to be doing. And what that looked like for somebody like Samuel is he'd wake up in the morning, and his responsibility was, hey, go light this candle. So he'd wake up and he'd light the candle. His responsibility was to, hey, at this time of the day when the sun comes up, go open these doors, do these things. And he was just going through routine. You see Samuel at an early age serving in the house of God. And in the same instance, you see him in relationships and around people who are kind of doing their own thing. And we'll kind of get into the story of what these other two guys, his brothers are doing. Their names are Hophni and Phinehas. 
He's growing up around the Ark of the Covenant. Shiloh is actually the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's the presence of God. Unlike today where we come into worship and the presence of God is all around us, like when we worship and God is here. In those days, the, the presence of God was, was structured to a box, to a certain box, and this was the location where Samuel was growing up. So he's literally growing up around the presence of God. He'd go to sleep around the presence of God. He'd wake up around the presence of God. This is just how he grew up. And I gotta tell you this, that's a very healthy spot for a young person to grow up inside the church, inside the house of God. I know that uh, we've been talking a lot about generations recently. And if you were at First Wednesday here this last Wednesday, your pastor Stephen talk about generations and why they're so important. But we believe this at Northwood, that young people have a spot in the, in the kingdom of God. Young people have a spot in the church. Our desire is to, is to use everything we have as a church to help young people grow up from a very early age, to fall in love with Jesus at a very very early age, that they don't have to run away from God and go get knocked around in the world, but they can grow up in the house of God. They can meet Jesus. They can fall in love with Jesus. They can serve in the local church all the days of their life. We believe that that's possible. We don't believe what the world says, that you got to go out and get knocked around, beat up, and then come back crawling. We believe that people can grow up in the house of God, and they can be successful in that. And that's what we see Samuel doing. And there's a significant moment in Samuel's life here, and you're going to be able to follow it on the screens with me. Here it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says this, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So God wasn't speaking to a lot of people at this time. It says one night, Eli, daddy, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. He was going to sleep. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. He was being a good guy. He went to bed when he was supposed to go, unlike every other kid. He didn't fight. He was being a good kid. But he lay down where he was supposed to be. Verse 4 says this, Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered. He said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli. He runs to Eli and says, Hey, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, just like every dad, I didn't call. You're dreaming. <laughs> Go back to bed. He didn't do the thing, I'm going to get up and walk back to bed with you. He said, hey, just go back to bed. Go on, everything. That's, like, that's what good dads do. They just, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Go to bed. <laughs> Eli said, I did not call you. He said, go back and lie down. So Samuel went and he laid back down. It says, again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up and he went to Eli again and he said, hey, I'm here. You called me. Eli says, my son. I didn't call you. And he, he probably gives the old, the old threat that dad's, I'm going to spank you if you come back in here, boy. He says, go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now, this is huge here. The only word of, of instruction or correction or voice of reason in his life up to this point, the, the all-knowing voice was Eli was the father at this point, which is how it's supposed to be. Parents are supposed to raise up their kids and nurture and admiration underneath the guidance and the wisdom of God. And this is how it was being done. So that's the only thing Samuel had known at this time. It says he didn't know the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And a third time, it happens. The Lord says, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and he goes to Eli and says, here I am. You called me. And then this is the moment. And this is huge in this moment because it's not just for young people. It's for parents. It says, then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And from the first moment, for the first time, 
The father's responsibility transferred from me being the voice of reason, from Eli being the, the voice that's speaking into his life, directing him, saying, there's somebody greater speaking in it. And he had to transfer his voice of authority, his voice of vision, his voice of wisdom, his voice, and turn his son Samuel's ears away from him at this point and say, God's speaking to you. You need to listen. Now, as a parent, this is huge. If we could teach the young people how to hear the voice of God, how to respond to the voice of God. And Eli nailed it. He says, go and listen. Verse nine said, go and lie down. And if he calls, you say, Samuel. He says, say this. He says, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. So Samuel went down and he laid back down in his place. And then it says, the Lord came and stood there calling as the other time says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said for the first time, man, wouldn't this be an incredible moment for any young person? He says, speak, your servant's listening. And God speaks. Now this, you would assume a young man growing up in church that this would be the moment where God speaks something nice, says, hey, you've been doing a great job, you've been cool, hey, everything's good, man. Hey, just wanted to give you an attaboy, keep going. But God delivers a hefty word for the first time and he says this, he says, the home that you're living in is corrupt. Eli, his sons, it's all going down. The kingdom's falling. This, this home is falling. And he says, sleep tight, Samuel. <laughs> Samuel goes back to sleep. Wakes up in the morning and Eli, being the father, knowing that God spoke to him, says, hey, Samuel, hey, what'd God say to you? And I don't know what went through Samuel's heart or his emotions, but Samuel delivered the word and he said, hey, he said, this is what he said. He said, uh, this whole thing's coming down. He said, your sons are corrupt. He delivered the message as God gave it to him. And Eli responds and he says this. He says, let it be so. God spoke. And then from that day forward, that word comes to pass. Eli's reign was done. But we see in just the next couple of verses, in verse 19 and 20, it says this. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Not a one. That means everything he said happened. And people saw it. And it says, And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord, was a mouthpiece of God. And they took notice. And they listened really from that day forward. And, and, and Samuel, the legend, he grows. It even says that the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with God. And with people. And you see all throughout for Samuel this story that, that he's saying things and they're happening. And more credibility is being built every time because every single thing that he says is coming to pass. And you see Samuel's life interject with so many different people. And you see all these things that he says, this is going to happen. We need to respond to God. We need to respond to this in this way. And they do it and there's great victory. He'd say, hey, we don't need to do this. And the people wouldn't obey that word. And, and God would back up that word that he had told Samuel. So this is just what's taking place. And we're going to pick up a story where Samuel's a man now. He's, he's matured. He's a daddy now. And we pick it up in this where we see Samuel's character really come out. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. And the name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. 
They took bribes and perverted justice. They, they were actually doing the same things that the boys that Samuel grew up with were doing. And, and that just, as a father, that just has, it hurts because he did his very best. He raised them, he, he, was, he was going for it. But being that every person has a free will, they made their own decisions. And in verse four, another significant moment happens in Samuel's life and it says this, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, behold, Samuel, you're getting old and your sons, they don't walk in your ways. He says, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Everybody's saying, look at what every other nation's doing. They got these kings. Up to this point, there's never been a king in Israel. It's always been, we listen to God, we follow the voice and the instruction of God, and Samuel was that voice to the people. So for the very first time in a nation's history, they're saying, we don't want that any longer. We want something else. We want a guy to rule us. We don't, because God has always been the king up to this moment in this nation's life. And Samuel hears this. He says, man, so he's got this twofold thing happening. He's got a nation getting ready to turn their back on God and, and cash in God and, and his, all of his divinity and say, we want a king instead. But also there's this personal thing taking place. Can we just get into Samuel, the man's moment? His, his feelings, his sons. He's, he's done his very best. He's risen them up. And he expects them to, to, for lack of better words, take over the family business. That's what was custom in that day in every single occupation. If you were a tent maker, you'd make tents and you'd teach your sons how to make tents. And they would eventually become the people that would take over that business. They'd be more profitable. They'd do more than you ever did. And that's just how history has always been. And Samuel was no different. His sons were rising up the ranks and here they come, but they messed up. And they're not going to do it. This has to hurt. Samuel, it says he's getting old. If you go do a Greek word, Greek word search, try, I was trying to find out how old is old. And it just says old or maturing age. So I don't know how old he was. But we know this, that he's starting to get comfortable. His sons are rising up. To, he's about to be able to retire. He's going to get a boat. He's gonna get, it's probably a sailboat. He wants to just be able to relax and enjoy it. That's what he wants to do. He's probably going to vacation a lot. And he's ready to do this thing. He's ready to slip in to this comfortable moment, into this comfort zone. You know, comfort zones are a funny thing. And as individuals, we can slip into this comfort zone. And, and in church, we can slip into a comfort zone. At Northwood, we could slip into a comfort zone. The truth is, we're, we're in, in quite a healthy spot. We are, man. We got a room full of people. We've got lots of people that come to church. We got three locations. It's exciting. As individuals, you can slip into a comfort zone. I've served God for, for five years. I've served God for 10 years. I've served God for 30 years. And it's kind of like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna relax a little bit. Comfort zones feel really good. Comfort zones are beautiful places, but very rarely does anything grow there. And this is where Samuel is. And all of a sudden his comfort zone is being infringed on and that's uncomfortable. People are saying, we don't want your sons. We want a king. We don't want this thing. Comfort zones are very dangerous. 
In verse 6, it says, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. That's huge. Is that our default when something discomforts us or displeases us for our natural instinct to say, man, I'm going to connect to God. I'm going to seek his face in this thing. But it says Samuel prayed to the Lord. And Samuel had a very intimate relationship with God. He, 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 he talked to him often. And I just have to believe that his conversation might have started out in the form of fashion that, yeah, I'm going to pray to God because I know this is the right thing to do. And he maybe went to God and says, God, you're not going to believe what these people are asking for. You're not going to believe this. You know, you know, we've been doing this thing. We've been leading this nation this entire time. And it's been responding to your voice. And I've been telling them about it. And this has been successful. He's like, they want this. And he was ready to hear God say, no, we're not going to do that. You go tell the people, no way. If we do that, man, this whole thing's going to be messed up. He was ready to deliver that word. And he's like, God, I'm just letting you know. Hey, the elders came to me. This is what they're asking. He's just like, hey, you just tell me, tell them to shut up, and I'm going to tell them to shut up. And the Lord said to him, says, listen to all the people and what they're saying to you. He says, it's not you that they've rejected. He says, it's me. They've rejected me as their king. And whoa, he's like, no way. I went to God. I asked this. You know, many of us may consult God in important decisions and in these giant moments in our lives, but how many of us are ready to accept his counsel and then abide by it, especially when it goes against our will? <laughs> That's where the rubber really meets the road is when we're seeking God's face and we're saying, this is what's happening. And you know how it is a lot of times we go and we've already got the decision made, but we're just looking for God to say, yep, that's right, go for it. And what happens when God says, no, do something else? Samuel has to respond. And again, I like to just put myself in Samuel's spot here because Samuel's allegiance up to this point was always to God. It's always been about God, God first in everything. But it's funny, you think as you mature and as you get older and as you go through these seasons that certain things don't, you don't have to fight anymore. But you know what? This is yet another fight in the personal and the private life where, okay, God spoke to him, but he's still the mouthpiece to all the people. So he doesn't have to relay this message to God yet again. Samuel does the right thing. He relays the message to the people. And he says this in verse 7 again. It says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. In verse 8 it says, According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So that's exactly what Samuel does. Samuel says, hey, here's the warning. This is what you want. God said, you're going to get it, but I'm going to let you know what's going to really take place. 
Again, a lot of my stories relate to the parenthood because that's the era I'm in. I've got an eight-year-old, I've got a seven-year-old, and I've got a five-year-old. My five-year-old just started school. It was the happiest, saddest day of our life. It was very awkward, very strange. He didn't like it when he went into school, but then when he left, he loved it. So I don't know what's taking place, but a lot of my stories relate to the parent world. And you know how it is when, when your kid is about to do something that's like no way in the world. This is what happened the other day. I was instructing one of my kids. I said, hey, we're cleaning this house up. We gotta get this thing going. And I said, hey, so-and-so, I want you to pick that up. Now that was not hers, what I was asking her to pick up. And I heard this, this magical word come out of her mouth and it's like, no. <laughs> and I responded just like every good parent overboard you know how it is where you say it's like I didn't just hear that right did I and you start like questioning the other parent did I just did she just say no did that just happen so I went crazy not like swinging fists and throwing belts nothing like that but I said okay um, uh, I said okay girl I said <laughs> father forgive me so I said, oh, that's not yours? Okay, then let's play that game. Well, that room's not yours. Well, those clothes aren't yours. Well, those, that lunchbox isn't yours. And I, I did the old parent thing. My dad did it to me, so I did it. And I was like, yeah, I'm sticking it to him. That's what I was like, gotcha. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> and this is what Samuel does. Samuel says, that's what you really want? This is what a king's about to do to you. He's about to rule you. He's about to take part of your money. He's about to become the Lord over your life. And he starts going nuts. He's like, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna hate it, but we're gonna do it because that's what you want. And he's just going totally overboard. And he says, but here you go. Okay, don't pick it up, just like I did. Oh, don't pick it up. And I went and picked up the headband. And that's what Samuel does. And in verse 18, it says, and in that day, you will cry out because you're king whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day because you've chosen a king. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like everybody else and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he went back to God. And it says that he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And what's amazing from this moment forward is Samuel continues in responding to God's voice. Samuel's still instrumental in this entire nation. He anoints the king of the people. And you know, you heard Pastor Van talk about King Saul but Samuel anointed that man because that's who the people chose and that's who God chose. And there were times where Saul did really good and there were times that Saul did really bad. What was happening with Saul is he refused to be led by the voice of the Lord. He was being led by the voice of Saul. And that is so often our case, but Samuel continued, continued to side with the voice of God. And as Saul was making bad decisions, Samuel was still listening to the voice of God. He never, he never bucked authority, but he always sided with God. He was always submissive and honorable, but when it crossed the line of infringing on his relationship with God and his response to the voice of God, he stood strong in Northwood. That's something that we have got to become better and stronger at, is siding with the voice of God. Even when popularity says it's not right, even when the nation rises up and says it's no longer, when God speaks, 
we have a responsibility to respond and to stand strong. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, stand strong to the things that you've been taught. It says, hold on. And that's what we see Samuel doing and what God's doing in the background with him is he's speaking yet again. God's saying, hey, Samuel, Saul's messing up, but I need you to be on the look. I need you to be on the lookout for the next king. You're about to anoint the next king. And God says to Samuel, he says, hey, I want you to go down the road. I want you to go to this guy, Jesse's house. Jesse's got some sons and one of them are the next king. So it says, Samuel obeys the voice of the Lord and he goes. He says, hey Jesse, you got some sons and God's told me that one of them is about to be king and so Jesse's like, oh my goodness, he's saying dollar signs. He's like, this is great. So he says, let me show you my sons. He kind of parades them. He says, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. And he's going down the line. He's like, this one's probably it. He's the oldest. He's the strongest. The ladies love him. He's been in GQ magazine. He's like, this is probably the guy. And it says, Samuel looks at him. And I got to believe he didn't look at him with his natural eyes. But he says, this isn't it. He goes to the next son. He said, well, this guy's not quite as strong, but he's been in women's magazines. So, you know, he might be the guy. And he goes down the line and looks at all of his sons. And he goes through all the sons that are on the stage. And Jesse says, so it's none of these. And Samuel says, it's, it's not any of these. And Samuel thinks, did I miss God for the first time? He's like, this is all your sons? And Jesse says, oh, I got one more. Forgot about him. He's the youngest. Says, he's definitely not GQ material. He says, I got this. This is what the Bible says. He said, I got this small, ruddy little dude out in the field. Ruddy means red and freckly. So he, got, he had a little short, red, freckly son. He says, hey, come in here. What's your name? And just like every parent goes through all the kids' names because they can't remember. Like, hey, Abijah, Phineas, David. Hey, come in here, David. And Samuel says, that's the one. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God doesn't look at what everybody else looks like. He says, God looks at the heart. And David had been preparing in the field when no one else was looking. He was winning the private battles. David himself was listening to the voice of God when no one was looking. So David himself became the next king. Samuel anoints him to be king. And through David's life, Jesus Christ is born through the lineage of David. All because Samuel responded to the voice of God. In the story of Samuel, I'd like to give you a ton of different points because I love all the stories, but the truth is this. There's one theme throughout his whole story is he'd listen to the voice of God and he'd respond to it whether it was popular or not. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, and this is the last scripture, it says this, and Samuel said, has the Lord as the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. He says, offerings and sacrifices are cool, but obedience is what turns the heart of God. Obedience is what moves this thing forward. In church, when we become people that are obedient to the voice of the Lord, when we become people that obey the voice of the Lord outside of the four walls of this church, but when we're at our workplace, when we're in our schools, when we're in our homes, when we, when we listen for God and we respond to God, 
Not only will we be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, but we'll transform our communities. We'll see people continue to come into the house of God. We'll continue to see people make decisions to follow Jesus. Why? Because this is not about us. This has never been about us. This life that we live, if we simply live it so that we can be the greatest that we can be, then we're gonna fail miserably. But when we live a life that says, you've given me this gift of life so that I can tell others about you, so that I can use everything that you've given me to make you famous, God's gonna take care of us. But we're gonna see the world that we live in transformed. One point. Listen for the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. Would you guys bow your heads with me for just a moment? And God, I'm praying over every single person in this room right now. God, that you would continue to speak to us. God, that you would speak to us in a way, and God, I'm praying right now that every single one of us would just be making a commitment to you that says, I'm ready to respond. Maybe we haven't responded in the past, or maybe we've been one of those people that have, have just allowed ourselves to get into a comfort zone, but at this moment, you're realizing there's nothing growing any longer. That, that thing that I once had, the reason I, I fell in love with Jesus, the reason that, that, that first love that I had isn't there any longer, but it's because I've just allowed myself to, to slide into a comfort zone, but right now I'm saying, God, speak to me. Your servant's listening. And God, just as a church, God, we're humbly asking that as you speak to us, that you'd give us the courage, the faith to respond to your voice. God, that we would be people that aren't scared of what others think, that aren't moved by public or popular opinion, but God, we're moved by the voice of the Lord. God, let it be said about our church and our families that we're people that respond to your word. So God, I'm asking that just a movement of that would take place inside the, the house of Northwood Church. And God, I'm asking you right now to speak to those who aren't connected to you, who don't have a relationship with you right now. God, speak to them. God, let it be known inside their hearts. Let them feel right now through your Holy Spirit, through your love, through your conviction that says there needs to be a connection. And God, I'm praying that they would have the courage to say, it's my time. It's my moment. I'm all in. It's time to step out of this comfort zone of the life that I've allowed myself to create. But I'm ready, I'm willing, and I'm excited to step into the life that God has for me. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I just simply want you to respond to God and say, that's me. You can lift your hand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front, but if you just slip your hand up, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray with you. Thank you so much. 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 Come on, people all over the room. Thank you. 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 God, you see the hands of people, but more importantly, we love the fact that you see the hearts. So God, we're asking you right now to come live inside of our hearts. God, to take that nature that's once separated us from you, that sin nature, and God, redeem it. 
God, we believe that you died on the cross for our sins, God, so that we wouldn't have to pay that price because, God, we can't pay the price. But, God, right now we receive life. We receive hope. We receive love. We receive Jesus right now. We repent of our sins and we confess with our mouth that you are Lord of our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, come on, Northwood. Let's give it up for those that made a decision. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor, Van DeCody, wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv locations, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give. You can give a one-time donation or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.